Hey gang, Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is now funded by Patreon. Join to access our blog and unlock special bonuses like essays, reviews, show notes, and other exclusive material. It's brand new and you can be a part of shaping the material we produce. If we reach $50 a month, we'll be able to start buying vintage Scooby-Doo novels to review, in addition to our regular episodes. Thank you to Charlie Adams, David Green, Jordan Ferguson, Katie Maxwell, Kyle Michaud, Matthew Bang, and Pablo Corden for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching The Song of Mystery. It's a song that goes a little something like this. I thought you were going to sing. Well, I considered it, and then I thought better. So what do you want me to splice in there? Well, you know, you know what? If I do finish that me and my shadow demon anytime soon, maybe that could go there. But no, I said it was going to be exclusive. So, I don't know. Maybe a... Uh, country jamboree song or something like that like a one-man band type thing ignore everything billy is saying right now ignore everything he said at the end of last episode when he was so very sure this was going to be the hex girls <laughs> it is absolutely not the episode with the hex girls i didn't have the heart to break it to you but that comes much later after shaggy and scooby are fighting because of velma mm, i did not recall that i i really don't remember the order anything takes place in other than maybe a few episodes i could tell you the difference between season one and season two when they get very arc heavy but uh all right apologies to any listeners who were screaming at the podcast last time knowing i was wrong well amelia what does happen in this episode at first glance that is not the hex girls that was oh, my that at was first yours glance. well i instead listeners I'll tell you what does happen, and that's that Broccoli Head is having a bit of trouble pronouncing the names of his boss and other characters. I'm getting get a clue flashbacks here. <laughs> not not a fan of Mr. Broccoli Head, or perhaps just Broccoli Head. I he could be first name Broccoli, last name Head. Head is an unfortunate last name to have. Please come to my office, Mr. Head. We need to discuss matters of grave importance. That's what it would sound like if you worked uh, in a department store in England in the 1960s. <laughs> in any other time period, place, or profession, Mr. Head sounds like the name you would give the person that's giving everyone head in the bathroom well, at lunch. You know, it, it is a last name, though. What about Anthony Stewart Head? What about him? It's still an unfortunate last name. It is. It, it is. Any, anything that's a real word or sounds 
anywhere vaguely sexual is definitely... I mean, kids are cruel. They'll, they'll figure that shit out faster than new math, I tell you that. <laughs> new math? Like, you know. were in school when I've, they introduced that. I have no like idea what 70s. new math is. <laughs> is. Is that what it was? It's pretty long ago. God. Long before you ever started doing math. <laughs> Whatever happened to the old math, Amelia? Back with the Roman numerals and the... We took it out back and shot it. Damn. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say, I like that this episode opens on a completely unrelated cartoon. I enjoyed Mr. Tom Kenny in the role of Broccoli Head. Felt like I got a, a quick flash of Spongebob before I started watching Scooby-Doo today. Oh, Spongebob is a lot less annoying. <sighs> I feel like I could see this in a Spongebob episode, a running joke where he was just not understanding increasingly ridiculous names. That would not be the entire season slash series. The episode that they turn on nights later, mm. and he's still mispronouncing names. You're right. You see, I was interpreting that as the same episode, but you're right. It's nights later, unless this is like a repeat on Nick at Night. They're still running these too close together. Yeah. Okay. So, so. It's, you're, you're saying the show in general is probably a bit derivative. Uh, as someone who's Stan, Spongebob Squarepants, since the moment I laid yeah. eyes on him. Yeah. Spongebob is great. And I, hey, that's all I wanted to say, is that Tom Kenny's here. He's vaguely doing the Spongebob voice. A little smile comes across my face. As for the premise for this episode, kids are being spookified by the flute playing K. Horrifico. See? Nice and simple. Doesn't have to be a whole fucking thing, Scoopypedia. <laughs> I, ge I genuinely feel at this point that they listened to the first episode and, and just <laughs> went through it. Just they're like, I'm so tired of Billy and Amelia bad-moothing my pod... Bad-moothing? I was about to say bad-moothing my podcast. Moothing? Oh, you were still on moothing? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I, th I thought maybe this would bloop a bit, but no. No, no you, were, you were... Ooh, I'm still on the podcast. Nice and proper. Moothing. I'm Canadian. Don't <laughs> bad mooth me. Uh, yeah, kids, Kikurifico, uh, spookification, flutes. These are all the words of the premise jumbled up in a different order. Yeah, I'm glad that you mood boarded this for us. <laughs> Starting with Fred, who I always have the most notes for. He wants to skip school again. Yeah. <laughs> because they're not missing anything there. I agree. <laughs> He's not a heads-down kind of guy. He is not hitting the books. I, uh, I skipped a lot of high school, and I did fine. You, di you did. You're doing great. Is well, I wouldn't say I'm doing great now. I meant I did well in high school. Well, you you Those you skipping classes never really hindered me in any way. Ex not like Fred, though. Fred is flunking civics class. Uh, yeah. How is this even possible? Do you remember civics in grade 10? I do. It was a half-semester course. A half-semester course. It was terrible. No one gave a single shit about it. I can remember all of one assignment that we had to do. Literally no class time has been dedicated to my headspace. I could tell you which class number I sat in on if you put me back in ENSS and I pointed it out. But I couldn't tell you a single thing I learned there. I learned, I, I pretty much 
somehow I got away with at least three separate times answering who the Governor General was at the time. It was Adrienne Clarkson. I knew her name, and for some reason, every time that question came up, I was the one called upon, and it became a running gag that my answer to a, to, to a question would be Adrienne Clarkson. Other than that, I only remember the lesson where she pretty much just told us all to be centrist, to vote at the middle of the spectrum. You were told this? We were, we were told. We were, we were told that the Liberal Party was the only way. My class was probably told this as well, but again, didn't remember anything. The one assignment I remember is that we were supposed to write, like, a short piece about, like, what the world would be like without government, and, uh, That's I- That's a badass assignment. I hope you anarchied all over that. Well, I failed because I got too creative with my creative writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what they were looking for. Nope. They were looking for me to get down on my knees and bootlick the government. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you have a- you, dystopian fantasy or something yes, like that I yeah did. of course you would i don't remember that assignment at all probably because i guess bootlicked it <laughs> i i do remember um because it was half a semester of civics half a semester of careers oh which was even more worthless it, it was especially because the world has changed but i remember the one day he, he we were talking about interviews and and he just we we're doing handshakes and I, I just got the, the firmest, most uncomfortable eye contact handshake from that teacher. And, and to this day, here, shake my hand. This is, this is how I'll do it. <laughs> I don't think that's how you do it. <laughs> you don't, you don't think it's, you need, so you, you grab the person's, I'll, listeners, because you can't see this. No, no, You grab no. the person's hand and you just lean in. I know that Lean this is... until the faces touch. <laughs> I know this is how you were taught it, but I don't see you in your day-to-day -day life doing that. I don't think you've got the balls to do the lean-in direct eye contact. No, what I do now is, here, we'll do it the other way. I lean out until it's a <laughs> trust fall. Involve leaning at all. We are the antithesis of public education. We are what's wrong with the world. I love it. So yeah, Fred's flunking civics. Yeah. He's not too torn up about it, but his his politician father is all up in arms. Oh yeah, I mean this this is the biggest embarrassment that the son of the mayor is flunking civics. Well, then it's the mayor's fault for not making it interesting enough to. Inspire his son. Or it's very clearly some sort of rebellion against his father. But Fred does have to get better at it because he, Coach says he's going to kick him off the team. See, I told you that there's still universes where Fred is a sports guy. Well, what you don't know is that he's actually talking about the civics team. I find that <laughs> hard to believe. What kind of team sport would that be? Uh, model UNing. They call that the model UN. Mm, not Leave it if to you Fred no, to call they, it a team, but... Yeah, he would. And also, perhaps the school hasn't paid their dues to the national model <laughs> UN uh, collegiate. And so they just have to call it the civics team. They're not allowed to compete competitively at it. They, they just do a local UN. And I like to imagine that Fred's in the background, hand on heart, just singing, Oh, Canada, like <laughs> Ralph in that one Simpsons episode. Fred could, t if any of the gang, Fred could be a Canadian. 
He has a chain guy. A guy that he goes to specifically for chains. But he's not very loyal to this chain guy. Because he finds better chains than his and says, what's the name of your guy? Well, I mean... He's gonna switch allegiances just like that? Or he's gonna bring it up to his own chain guy and be like, look, uh, this guy's getting a better gauge than I am. I've been a loyal customer for years. What can we do? It's the art of negotiation. Yeah, and then the guy making the chains will say, okay, one more time, what are you using these for? Because you're far too young for a sex dungeon. It could be, it could be uh, you know, he goes in with Scooby. <laughs> the guy thinks, all right, you're just, it's just to chain your dog in the yard. That's, that's a wholesome purpose. How many kilometers of chain has he made for this one dog? <laughs> it's a large property. <laughs> Um, this chain comes into play uh, because they're with the red herring of the episode. And the red herring is, he thinks he's having like a werewolf transformation kind yes. of thing into uh, K. Horrifico. So he's like, chain me to this chair so that I, I can't wreak havoc. So Fred does, and then sits on the coffee table in front of the chair, making, uh, direct unblinking eye contact with his hands like pented and he's like staring into this man's soul yeah like uh, that handshake lesson big dick energy to just sit there and <laughs> stare a werewolf in the eyes like that and then when they think he's about to change he is fucking ready to pounce yeah he turns off the tv so all his focus can be on this he stands <laughs> he gets into his defensive posture and then you know the guy's not like a threat, so it's yeah. wasted. But, but still, he, I'm he's a little good to go. On. That's how we do it on the civics team. <laughs> Are you sure he's not mistaking the football team for a <laughs> civics team? Oh, that would explain. He swapped them in his mind. Every time that he's in civics class, he's like, "Go long." <laughs> we not only does he have a chain guy, but he has preferences in darts. We learn that his favorite sort of blow dart has a uh, is a three centimeter. With comb beaver bristles. I so have you, no knowledge I, of darts, so I, I'll have to trust him. I'm just saying, if you are going to do a Fred Jones cosplay, and you want to carry some darts, that would be the one. At one point, they have to pretend to be a family. So Fred and Daphne are like the mom and dad, and uh, Daphne's loving it. Loves this. Yes, this, this is wish fulfillment fantasy. Make believe, where she gets to marry and bone Fred. And Fred tells her not to look too happy when they're pretending to be married. Oh, my boy. Yeah, that <laughs> really some, shows. This is some real bad toxic masculinity. I, I don't like the models that he's seen growing up. And, and, and his it, dad's not even married. Yeah, so. that's the thing. Who in this town has he spent time around? Well, at this point, probably Velma. We were talking about this, I think, just last episode. We were. Her crappy marriage analogs and shit it's definitely not shaggy's family because shaggy's parents like we know they have a healthy sex life um, yeah they don't like their child that's a whole different yeah uh, case of worms that we'll deal with later but like as soon as shaggy moves out they are they are gonna be rejuvenated every night's gonna be still life night the empty nest is where they shall spread their wings fred gets brained against the door like, quite a few times, someone grabs his ascot and starts banging his head against the door. Right. And uh, after that point, he is just ready to throw hands. And the things that are attacking them this this episode are children. 
so, you know, he gets hit on the head a couple of times, and he's <laughs> he's gonna go along with the kid. You know what? They're, they're coming after these teens. I don't blame them for fighting back just a little. I know, there's absolutely no hesitation. No, like, oh, but I know that kid. They're just yeah. like, burn them with fire! The kids are terrifying. <laughs> oh, they're ready to throw Velb out a window! Like, All right, so maybe it didn't take the braining for Fred to be like, we need to kill some kids, but still. Um, I actually don't have a lot of notes for Fred uh, apart from that. I did want to note that even though he's failing civics, he did get a... T- er, I do want to note that even though he's failing civics, uh, his father got him a tutor. So Fred is involved with a tutor in this episode. And uh, Daphne does not like that. When she finds out it's going to be a girl. Uh, so the Daphne dilemma. She opens this episode, she's babysitting for a kid named Timmy. and Arthur. Oh, is it Arthur? Uh, my note here, Daphne is babysitting Arthur, a hmm. child. Why did I write down Timmy? It's just a general child name, I think. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, so she opens babysitting him. He's sitting watching Broccoli Head, far too close to the television, might I add. But she's even worse. I think she's reading a book in, like, just the glow of the television. Everyone's eyes get ruined in this situation. <laughs> what are you doing? What What is it that this... Fa- All right, now, uh, uh, just some rules of the house. Uh, make sure that he goes to bed at eight and that you do not turn on any of the lights because we're not made of money. <laughs> right? Like... Like, I had some parents that would, you know, I, I've babysat a child before. There are some rules. But generally, you're allowed to turn a light on once the sun goes down. At I minimum. So. At minimum. Usually they tell you also you can turn on the TV and snack as you will from the fridge. Exactly. But not not Arthur's parents. No. I think Arthur was correct to get spookified and attack <laughs> his parents. <laughs> So tired of carrying that candle up the stairs to bed. (laughs) Uh, Daphne, after she's attacked by Arthur after his spookification, she does a sick jump and flip out of the window. I wrote this. She flips out the window. (laughs) Yeah, it's an unnecessary flourish. No one's around to see her do it. She's just like, hey, this will be bitchin'. Yeah. And then does it. And it was bitchin'. Um, when Fred says that he's going to have a tutor and that it's, it's going to be a girl, Daphne actually cracks her knuckles. Is Daphne ready to throw hands? All the time. She did a sick flip out of a window. That's, that's true. That's evidence. <laughs> I mean, I, I do like seeing Daphne in the babysitting role, though, because, I mean, it's not pursuing Fred. So it's good to see her with... Uh, a secondary objective, I would say. No, look, she does have the lamp on, but not the one that's over her head. Yeah, she's like illuminating the cover of the book while she reads. That's entirely wrong. And there's also that scene uh, before they dress up as a family. Fred brings them all to a house that's for sale, and the way. Daphne swoons over it. I don't know if she wants Fred to buy this house for them to live in, or she just wants to, like, sneak in with them and mess around. (laughs) Why not both? I mean, I know what you would have suggested at the time. (laughs) Property ownership. It's good to own land. Gotta get on that ladder. One last note for Daphne as she reads her book in the dark. 
she makes the note because she hears some pan flute in the street and she says well now it's strange that i would a pan flute would be played at this time of night <laughs> suggesting there is an appropriate yeah, time <laughs> suggesting there's a good time to hear a fucking pan flute it's never the time is never <laughs> um good to see daphne not kidnapped in this episode Overall. Yeah, no, that was that was a nice break. <laughs> yeah, she she maintains uh, a healthy presence. She even gets her own attack scene when she's attacked by a child on the stairs. Uh, the Velma vision. This is one of the more insufferable Velma episodes. Yeah, she's trying to change Shaggy throughout like the first half of this whole series, but she doubles up this episode, trying to change his clothing and his uh, usage of the word like. Would, yeah. would rather he be in physical pain than just say the word like. Yeah, she she's giving him that trick of like when you do something and you, you want to break a habit, you put an elastic on your wrist and you flick it so that you feel a bit of pain. And then that becomes your Pavlovian response of like, oh, I, sh I shouldn't do that. I don't like saying the word like. It makes me hurt. But Shaggy does like saying the word like. He does! And he certainly doesn't like the pants that Velma chooses for him. Like, obviously Velma wants into his pants, but why she would want into this particular pair of pants? They're like purple with vertical stripes. Well, she says it's the style. and It's um, not. It's not And quite. purple is not his color palette. Uh, Daphne should be heartily insulted. Now... Five years before Mystery Incorporated, you know, you're looking at a real big emo phase in the world. Maybe you could say that was more in keeping. But even then, it's just, ugh, I, I don't like seeing this overly controlling Velma. It's, it like, what do you like about Shaggy? Yeah, she seems to like nothing about she, him. She likes that she he even, is her boyfriend. Yeah, And she, she can mold him into what is good. Like, she either just likes him because he's tall, or she likes him because he's a boy that hasn't said no to her. Like, there's no in-between. And, and honestly, I just, I don't like them doing, like, I don't like them presenting Velma like this. It, it, it's just such a weird disconnect of character. Because, I mean, look at any prior series of Scooby-Doo. Velma and Shaggy didn't have an intimacy, so when you add in this her wanting to change him without showing any of the positives of their intimacy... Yeah, we get, just... like, little flashes at the end of each episode where she's been particularly awful. Like, they'll smile at each other, and it's like, that's not enough to base an entire <laughs> relationship no. on. I have to smile at people at work after I finish helping them with customer service. Do I want to bone and or marry any of them? No. No. I mean, I also don't, I hope you don't give them, like, one of those knowing smiles. I, I, <laughs> I just, Alyssa, I tried to do one. It did not work. If I don't, Stop. if I can't, I can't look at you in the eyes while I do it. <laughs> I mean, you can't look a lot of women in the eyes, can you? <laughs> one kind of positive for Velma, her mom gives her a ridiculous t-shirt to wear so she can advertise the selling of those t-shirts and, uh... And Velma does wear it. She and, does. And she diligently tells people it's available for $15. So she's also a shill for capitalism. Hardly a positive. She, she, she's a shill for her mom. I don't know. I uh, This Velma, I, fe I feel like Velma 
is just modeling so much toxic behavior that she's learned. I'll, I'll be happy when they move past this. They're shaggy Scooby shenanigans. If there's one thing he loves, it's sugar. He says with a box of donuts on his lap that he's not sharing with anyone else. Yeah. Is anyone else allowed to have a donut, Shaggy? You seem to have two dozen there. Maybe Fred would like a vanilla dip. Well, Fred can buy his own, Amelia. I spent good hard money on these. Yeah, your parents. You all seem to be rich bitches in this series. <laughs> yeah, ooh, that's a good question. Because da Daphne is objectively rich. Fred has high social standing for being the mayor's son. His house is also pretty big. big oh, like yeah. Victorian number. That's, it had that big stone fireplace. So um, it, would be, it would be between Shaggy and Velma for, like, the, the lower class character in this group. I mean, both are middle class. Look at what at Shaggy's least. mother is wearing. She's still dressed like it's the 50s with pearls yeah. and, like... The dad's in tweed. I'd say Velma's probably the poorest of everyone in the group. I mean, Scooby's the poorest. He has no concept of what money is. <laughs> but Velma, I think, just lives in, like, a regular house and everyone else. Daphne's got that huge mansion. Yep. Fred's got the sprawling Victorian. It, it would I, explain... I think Shaggy and Scooby have a nice colonial they live in, like... It would absolutely explain why she has to be shilling that t-shirt throughout the episode. <laughs> T-shirts, $15. I can eat tonight. <laughs> I don't think it's every question of whether or not she can eat, but... But it helps. <laughs> Scooby and Shaggy shenanigans. We're already on there. Oh my Why are you reintroducing? Because we talked about Velma again. You absolute dumbass. <laughs> Jesus. Shaggy is wearing the tight pants in this episode. Yes. Uh, his legs won't bend and he can't creep. Yeah. It's not a good look. He's got no ass. These are not the pants for a boy with no ass. <laughs> the funniest thing to me is that he's still wearing the very baggy t-shirt, yeah. but he tucks it in. <laughs> you think he'd want to hide, like, the tightness around yeah, his crotch Yeah, if he's but... used to wearing baggy pants and he's just like, well, my dick's out. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it kind of is. A little bit. Yeah, that's a, that's a bulge. <laughs> From the side. Stop looking at that child's I'm trying, trying to stop. He's also, in this episode, made to dress as a uh, small children, as, like a lure. Daphne and Fred are the mother and father of this house that they buy to lure out the spookified yeah. children. Uh, Velma's the grandma. <laughs> Actually, uh, fashion report, I love Velma as the grandma. She's already got grandma style. She I does. Mean. Just an extra blanket. Yeah. To keep her warm. <laughs> uh, Scooby is a baby, complete with a diaper. And Shaggy is an 18th century <laughs> dandy child. <laughs> Fred and Daphne are dressed like they're from the 50s. And they their have child a dandy is, child. Their child is like an Edwardian ghost baby. <laughs> I like the concept of a dandy child, because it's, it's just like the child has chosen this. <laughs> He's just like, tell us a story, Grandmama. He's like so into the role. <laughs> Shaggy was meant to be an 18th century dandy boy. 
This this is the guy that you're looking to change, Velma? <laughs> the guy you're so into? Maybe if she was in it for a sense of humor, but she's not. <laughs> I wish I knew what she saw in him. There's probably height. Abracadabra do. Her sister, her younger sister, had a crush on Shaggy. And Shaggy very much played the the romantic hero in that episode. I could see. But this, Velma holds no love for her boyfriend. And this, I think this is one of the worst episodes for that. Uh, my last note for these two is that Scooby helps Shaggy throughout with his snapping the rubber band trick without knowing what it's for. He just sees Shaggy doing something, understands why he's doing it, so when Shaggy doesn't do it, Scooby steps in, because he's like, I'm a good dog. Right. <laughs> this is something he likes. So I think that really goes to show you how much attention Scooby pays to the world around him. I don't think we've given him that much credit before. Yeah, no one needed to say, Scooby, when he says like, pull that elastic, he just picked that up on his own. He absorbed that. I also want to say, when... Shaggy is trying to creep, but he can't bend his legs. Very funny. Good physical comedy. Uh, moving on to the Bronson Stone beat. In our major minor mentions. <laughs> Fred says that it's time for another mystery, and he is immediately arrested for even suggesting it. Now, I had this under the mayor mandate, because okay. it's 100% the mayor being like, arrest them! <laughs> like, True. I'm sure of it. But... Here's, a, here's my question. The rest of the gang is arrested as well. They didn't suggest it. They didn't even agree yet. Uh, well, guilty... It's a, it's a RICO. It's guilty by association. Yeah. They're a, they are a gang. They're classified as a gang. Round them up. Uh, I really like how Sheriff Bronson Stone says, Spookified. Right to the camera. Good close-up. Ominous. Do you have anything for uh, the angel angle or the Mr. E mystery? Um, I have a Angel orders a pizza at the end, and Mr. E does not appear. Um, and I have written down one quote for the mayor. What in the name of whole wheat toast is going on? Though not that, <clears throat> he didn't, his voice didn't crack like mine often does. Yeah, well, he's not still going through puberty. No. Someday you'll be a man. What in the name of whole wheat toast is going on? See, that's too aggressive. The minor, minor mentions. Uh, Arthur, we open on. He's being babysat by Daphne. Really enjoys her company, it yeah. seems. He is a child. Same age as every other child on this episode. <laughs> yeah, they all <laughs> seem to be very much the same. It's really, One the, year, everyone got real frisky during a blackout, and... It's the age that the gang are. So, how old you would... They're not seniors, we know this because Fred says that his tutor is a senior. What's the one before senior? Junior. Grade 11. Okay. But I don't, I don't know. The civics class kind of makes me think of grade 10 because that's when we had to take it. Right. And you are 16 in grade 10. So they could be, they could be middle tier like that. I always prefer to put teenagers in grade 11. I think that's a nice middle ground between teen and adult. Okay. So if, if we say that they are 17 here. Would you say that Arthur is like seven then? And so if you know, the parents of the town give a group birth every ten years? 
I don't like that mental image at all. <laughs> Seems like they're all writhing around in a pile. Like that's a fucking story Clive Barker would write. And now I don't want any part of it. <laughs> um, he he loves the Mr. Broccoli. I keep calling him Mr. Broccoli. <laughs> You're giving him a lot of honor. I am. <laughs> Uh, okay. You don't have to respect him like this, Billy. It's, it's not even his last name. Um, I'm I'm gonna look it up specifically here. Yes, and actually, that was my next character, Broccoli Head. We don't have to Star- mention fictional characters within the fictional universe. Well, I just say he he has a lot of trouble pronouncing the names of, and and I'll be honest, I might have problems with these names, Mister Bewazenthal, Mister. Gabadoglophoria? And, uh... Wait a second. One of the names you read out was the name of the child's father. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. B. Wilsonthal is just a man! I don't think Broccoli Head had trouble with that name. I was looking through the casting to see... I was, okay, well, Mr. Gabadoglophoria... That he's a beat, right? Yeah. Okay, but the first one I mentioned was just a man. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's move on. Mary Ann Glearden is uh, Fred Civic's tutor. She's a hyper intelligent little girl, probably around I don't know ten to twelve. I would put her in. She throws a wrench into my group birth theory, but she could have been from a family that just moved into town. Or, like, you know, within the last decade. Yeah. She's she's in the senior year, uh, even though she should have jumped straight to university because her parents wanted her to uh, have some social skills. Yeah. So, so maybe, you know, they were driving through this state, thought, hey, that house is renting month by month. We'll rent this house for one month. Our daughter will go to hi- go to and finish high school. And then we'll keep driving her on through to wherever the fuck she's going to university. Right. So, yeah. The group birth theory theory yeah. still she, I mean, stands she, up. And she is only here to spend a few weeks in high school. She has a passion for civics. Yeah. She wanted to serve on city council, but the mayor wouldn't let her because she's a little girl who has a constant gross throat clearing that she yeah. keeps doing. I wouldn't want her anywhere near me on city council either. That's definitely there to show that she doesn't understand social norms, that she thinks it's just fine to clear the back of her throat in a disgusting wrench. Yeah, like, at this point, it seems like you need to get her on some sort of medication for this. Why are her sinuses so stuffed up? I mean, I, I don't know, it rang true to me for someone who was just like, well, there's, there's, no, there's no issue in doing this. I've never been around another person before. She's gross. That's what we're coming to. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, Dr. Louise de Portrillo. I think that's his last name. He's here as an exchange teacher. He's teaching an honors course on Indian history. Something to do. Anthropology in general, maybe. Yeah, something to do with uh, histories and peoples. Yeah. Uh, He's from Baru. You know, because Peru is so copyrighted. That's that's one of those things you see in cartoons. You just, you make up countries as you go along. Not the the white countries. Those can stay. Um, This character is voiced by Paul Rugg, who I love as Freakazoid. (laughs) Did it say at the beginning of this episode, written by Paul Rugg as well? 
I'm going to check that. I swear it he would, was the writer. That would credit. make sense. Yep. Written by Paul Rugg. Yeah. So. Freakazoid wrote and voiced some episodes. He, he wrote himself. <laughs> I mean, he is a writer as well. So he, he wrote himself a little part and he performed it admirably. Um, you know, if, if you want to have uh, a presumably South American man uh, voiced as if he was Jerry Lewis. Yeah. But. <laughs> this guy's kind of comic relief. Uh, when he thinks he's going through his like werewolf type metamorphosis. He, he starts thrashing around and screaming, and then he just belches, and he was like, oh, it's gas. So we know he gets yeah. gas. Uh, we know he likes pan flute for recreational use. I just like Paul Rugg's writing and performing, I think, so <laughs> it worked well for me. At the end of the episode, he comes to give them all uh, a pan flute concert as a reward for solving the K-Horifico mystery, because he thinks he's turning into K-Horifico. Yes. But then they clear him of that. So he's like, I will reward them with pan flute. Everyone loves it. But in real life, no one would want this. No one would want this. That, that <laughs> Everyone gets up and starts jamming, like even Angel Dynamite. And it's like, girl, your roots lay in hip hop. What are you doing rocking out to a pan flute? To me, this should have been the biggest clue that Paul Rugg wrote this episode. <laughs> this, it leans on that comedy hard. Um, I also want, while we're in the minor mentions, to talk about Velma's mom who's giving a tour and rats the gang out to the cops. Yeah. None of the parents want their children doing this. Uh So if they see their children near the sheriff, they'll just point and be like, arrest them. They're doing something suspicious. Loitering! (laughs) Mom, this is my house. Buy something. (laughs) Uh, And then there's our villain, Kay Harifico. Um, They are a pan flautist. Okay, well, I think that leaves out a little bit, like how they're like an Incan mummy. <laughs> yes, but... With a creepy gold mask. And they come to spookify the the children, like the, the Pied Yeah, there's a Piper. Pied Piper aspect to it, hugely. Um, standing outside of children's windows at night and playing a tune that transforms them into little gremlins. Um... I'm not really sure why. Did we get a history of why K. Horifico did that in their own time? That, uh... Because K. Horifico uh, is Marianne Glearden. She learned about the character in the professor's honors course. Yes. So it, it is a lore-based character. Yeah, and uh, she's got good cover because the Beruvian man... Could have, like, he's the one that's turning into K. Horifico. Obviously, we didn't have K. Horifico before this brown guy showed up. We don't get any lore on K. Horifico, but I think the visual design's still yeah. pretty bitchin'. And the fact that we are at least told that K. Horifico exists, or is a legend that exists, it, there are roots there. So the children of the town are all turned into little gremlins, and the parents of the town abandon them without a second thought. Yes. I think the woman that calls back to the child to remember to brush is having second thoughts. Yeah. I I think the sheriff might be tossing them out forcibly. Mmm, I did not consider that. Because, you know, the sheriff and the mayor are already on the scene, and they're always looking to get big tourist dollars. So they're like, look, let's turn this into a horrific slum yeah, of that, demon children. The spooky kids pretty much turn this landscape into Mad Max overnight. There's so much fire! I hope you like leather. 
SpongeBob reference because we talked about SpongeBob earlier. Yeah. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need your approval. (laughs) It's just so weird. Like, this plan, (laughs) it requires that all the parents just abandon that. No attempt at rehabilitation. Just disowning their children as soon as they imagine they're monsters. Okay. Yes. But you've you've missed a crucial step of telling us what the Master Criminal Plan is. Oh, well, that, that will explain a lot. The Master Criminal Plan is that Marianne Glearden is sore of being turned down to work for City Council. So she's going to get rid of all the adults in town so that she can rule it as a utopia. <laughs> A kid-run utopia. Yeah. She go. Oh, you know, she says that she goes to the kindergartens. So these kids are six. Did she specifically say kindergarten? I think or did she, she said say kindergartens. She, I think she just said all the elementary schools, didn't she? I'd have to watch it again, but I'm pretty sure she said kindergartens. Um, she she goes there promising utopia. The kids don't care. She offers them candy. And then they agree to go along with this plan. So they're not actually spookified. They're just kids and they're faking it. And I don't know a parent. Small children are not good at subterfuge. I don't know a parent that would just accept this and walk away. You'd have some parents that that would trick them back. Some parents would just hit their children. Yeah, I raised this question while we watched. Statistically, some of these kids are just getting beaten on a regular basis. And if they're getting beaten as just a child, you think that they're not going to get beaten as a gremlin? And, like, none of these kids are, like, going, like, grrr to their parents. And then, like, even if their parents are actually scared, like, first of all, weak-ass parents. Second of all, like, that kid would start giggling. They'd be having fun with it. Yeah, and what about all the ones that are huge mama boys? Like, all the... All the kids that, like, are so in love with their parents, they cry at the slight, like, even just a small imagining of their parents yeah. ever leaving them anywhere. What about all the kids who would simply come home and forget? Who <laughs> would just leave the costume in the other room, hear the pan flute, and continue eating potato chips? That, it's weird that this plan so heavily involves trusting six-year-olds. And the reactions to them. So feasible? Absolutely not. I, uh, I hands down say this is an infeasible plan. The kids are even caught because they're just like, oh, I want to watch TV. And they just take off their costumes. They stop. The gang didn't need to be here. This plan would fizzle out on its own. As proven in episode. Do you think it's a, it's a scary monster, K. Horifico and the spookified children? It's a freaky Incan mummy. And I love it. Uh, and the kids are creepy little fuckers scuttling through the dark on all four. Uh, these two combined get a nine. I see. I wasn't going to go that high. I, I was still thinking pretty good, but I, I thought this was an eight. <sighs> Maybe I just, I got too hung up on the kids at the end. Thinking of the kids in the middle of this episode. Yeah. Like when they're actually like hardcore going for it. Cast from your mind the fact that they are just children that are thwarted by SpongeBob SquarePants at the end, and imagine it's actual children like a child zombie. Would that not be the scariest fucking thing you'd ever seen? That that will remember in twenty eight days later, when he sees that child zombie in the convenience store and he has to kill it? It's a diner. I think you'll find. And even that kid's too old. 
And those zombies aren't scary. I'm talking about like zombie zombies, like a six-year-old with their entrails leaking out of them and they're like crawling towards you on the ground hissing and shit. That'd be so- I, I would- that would be sad and scary. That's the- All right, well, it's sad if their entrails no. are leaking out. What if they're scuttling around on the ceiling hissing at you? I'm just saying, there there is a mix of sad and scary that it's hard to hit that note right and you just hit it. Well, I'm a master I'm, of genre. I'm gonna scream and cry. So that's a nine from me. All right. <laughs> and an eight for Billy. A good, a, a good monster. A, a poor plan. If Do not execute this plan, listeners. Unless you can actually spookify kids and then go yeah. for it. You'll conquer the world. That's all you need. Um, we actually have like a whole instrumental official chase sequence in this episode. I haven't noticed as many chase sequences in this series so far. Uh, it's in this sequence that Daphne seems to get attacked by Chucky. He's coming at her. Chucky's See, that's small. Yeah, but the doll is less scary than an actual flesh human, it's, I it's, think. I agree. Because so. also, like, the thing with the human is you have that conflict. You're like, this. it should have been explicit that that was Arthur coming at her. I don't know. Um, do you have any other thoughts or feelings on this episode? Uh, yes, specifically of the one little girl who's just a total idiot at the end of the episode when they're all stripping off their masks to watch Broccoli Head. Her mask is on upside down. Fool. Fool of a woman. So how was she even seeing out of it? <laughs> I don't know. Idiot child. No wonder your parents left. Right? My only note was just, where are the firefighters in this town? Why are these fires being allowed to burn? Well, they're all parents, and they're all too scared to go back to that street. Well, all right. Or the town doesn't have any firefighters because that's a, a municipal asset that they can afford to go without so that they can pump money into the towards spooky tourist. Or maybe trade. Fire Chief Bronsonstone needs to come in. <laughs> Just switch his hats. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Do we see I that can, in another episode? Maybe. I feel like that's a very it, specific. It feels accurate. Yeah. I still, I this cannot do a, a Patrick Walburton impression, and I really want to. You can't do any impression. I know, but I feel like some I, I feel personally okay with. Sheriff Bronsonstone, I just end up sounding like a big old bear. I'm Sheriff Bronsonstone, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If you'd like to make suggestions to impressions that Billy should try, you yeah. can find him on Twitter, at TheBillySeaguire. I'm at Fatal Amelia. Collectively, we're at Scooby underscore Dews. We are also, we also have our episodes up on YouTube. You can follow us on Tumblr. We also have some side projects. Billy has another podcast he's currently taking a hiatus from. But if you're curious in his backlog, that's called Film Runners. And I have a YouTube channel where I post Hopefully again soon on. <laughs> You're working on it. I I recorded something today that will hopefully sometime get edited into a video. And then all, all that's left for us to talk about is, is this episode a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? Would I go absolutely with this? I think I'm just going to go to a do. Because the Velma stuff really brought it down for me. Yeah. Velma's pretty shitty in this episode, but Fred's great. Monster's great. Paul Rugg is great. Well, you know what? Paul Rugg writing like a one-off episode for himself to guest star in might be why <laughs> Velma's so terrible. Mmm. That, that feels very arky, though. 
And Maybe I, he was just told that she's terrible. And, like, because did he really have to double down? I don't know. Just to do as well. Treat women better. That's just advice for life. And on that note. That's it from <laughs> Scooby-Doo-B-S. To Scooby-Doo-B-U. I mean, you agree with that note, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I just don't think it needs to be said at the end of our podcast. At least not every episode. <laughs> well, <laughs> we have different opinions on the needs of women. Coming up next is The Legend of Alice May. A woman!